0: One of the most important sites for the development of the use of computers in music is the Center for Computer Research into Music and Acoustics, or CCRMA, pronounced karma. Founded as a part of Stanford's Artificial Intelligence Laboratory, it has been the site for groundbreaking research and development to the use of computers in music, in audiology, and in acoustics. It is also the site of one of the most important steps forward in the history of the use of computers in music. And in synthesizers, that device is the Samson Box. This is engineers and enthusiasts. The Samson Box. Officially, the Samson Box was the system's concept digital synthesizer the introductory materials for the system stated the systems concept digital synthesizer is a computer driven real-time device which creates signals such as represent the sounds of music and speech It eliminates the former problems of analog synthesizers such as drift poor tracking between units inaccuracy and inflexibility it adds the benefits of control from general-purpose computers with which sound can be composed edited and remembered or recalled in real time, or at any slower rate. And it matches the computer in rapid flexibility. Here are some excerpts from my 2018 talk with early user Gareth Loy. The Sensen box itself, can you sort of give us a physical idea of what it was?
1: Oh, sure. Uh, Big green refrigerator box. Uh, Pretty much characterizes it. Mm. Uh, No... Buttons, no knobs, no switches, no dials, no lights. Um, just a cord leading out through the uh, fake floor at the bottom going over to the uh, the PDP-6, and the PDP-6 connected to the PDP-10. And so uh, you'd run an application on the 10, which would load a program on the 6, and the 6 would uh, access... Data through uh, a DMA that we wired up and installed. Um, I remember that was a fun day. Uh, <laughs> uh, like Wire-wrapped guns and six packs of beer.
0: <laughs> that sounds like the old days.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and, now here's the really cool thing. When we were done, we plugged it in, and it worked, despite the beer.
0: Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> yeah, and uh, so at, at that point... Who was around, like, were people jumping at the bit to get at the Samson box, or was it sort of a mystery?
1: It was pretty much a mystery. Um, The reason I had the inside edge on it was because, actually, of of my background as a a, a live, improvising, performing, electronic musician. Mm -hmm. Um, I got to Stanford, and I realized... The you could spend literally 24 hours to compute a second of sound depending upon what was going to happen in that one second of sound and what else was going on in the lab that also needed the time-sharing cycles. Yeah. Um, and it was kind of killing me aesthetically because I had this improvisational style. I'd done lots of work uh, even in electro-acoustic studios. You're still... You're, it's, like, it's, it's a dynamic process because it was in the analog days. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of uh, trying to figure out, okay, what's my way forward here? Um, and I heard that the Samsung box had been ordered. Um, and so I went to Andy Moore. I said, look, I understand this is a device to do massive calculation of audio in, in real time. Um, explain it to me, and I will write down what you say, and that will be the vehicle through which Everybody else will figure out what it is. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, I'll understand what it can do and be able to use it myself. And then he said, great, let's start right now. So he started, he got out his chalk and wrote on a, um, it was a blackboard, an actual mm-hmm. blackboard, um, you know, the diagrams and arrows. And we, there, uh, Pete had created this crib sheet for the instruction set architecture of the Samson box mm-hmm. that was really just a crib sheet. Uh, I don't know if you've seen it, but it's, no, it's, it's unbelievably inscrutable. <laughs> um, and so we went through it in, in, in great detail, and I figured out, okay, here's the oscillators, and here's the modifiers, and here's the sum memory that uh, connects the two of them together, and, and here's how you get sound out of it, and here's the command architecture for uh, you know, the, the data that you have to feed to it, and here's the conditions under which you have to feed data to it, and here's how you wait while a calculation unfolds with this particular instruction, and so forth and so on. Um, And I was also um, massively learning programming uh, at that point, and so I teamed up with Andy, and um, he and I uh, and a couple of other folks um, basically wrote... A set of library functions and control functions and applications to run the PDP 10 Mm. to control the six through the uh, the DMA to fetch audio and fetch um, these uh, machine instructions for the Samsung box and to Mm. stream it all to the box and my contribution was the compiler so The, the the top level. Okay, mm-hmm. so there's many levels underneath. Yeah. So the application to actually run on the 10 to control the 6, to control the Samson box, Andy wrote. Mm-hmm. Uh, other people com- uh, provided uh, low-level libraries of, of uh, ways of uh, claiming resources in the Samsung box so that you could organize, you know, what's available and what isn't uh, on a moment-by-moment basis. And the piece that I wrote uh, at the top would take a score in traditional Music 5 notation, mm-hmm. um parse it into, you know, a series of instructions that would be uh, executed in the box. And I used the um, uh, lightweight process discipline of the SAIL language Mm -hmm. to implement um, multiple processes, one per note statement in the Music 5 score that uh, every time, for, for every statement, it would sprout Uh, an instance of uh, a class of the instrument that you had named and top-populated with the parameters that you had provided and kick it off and get it to start and it would uh, execute and synchronize itself uh, through a scheduler with all the other processes that were executing to create a linear stream of, of commands that were interleaved appropriately so that they were all in time order. So you'd end up with this big file, and then you'd use the application that Andy Moore to shove the file over to the Samson box, which would uh, digest it uh, at its characteristic rate uh, for real-time operation. So um, at that point, it was necessary for me to switch gears and actually write a piece of music. (laughs) Because my degree was in composition, and they were not going to let me out just on the basis of having written a computer program. Uh, so then I switched gears, but I discovered that there was a a problem, that there were bugs in the software that I had written and that other people had written. So, um, it was this, this recursive process where I'd have a musical idea. I'd start to realize that the, uh, would go south for some reason. I'd have to switch gears and start debugging to figure out what the heck oh yes, uh, for this particular modifier of this particular oscillator in this particular mode, I had failed to initialize register X okay so and, and now with register X reinitialized finally the musical ideas is uh, able to be uh, promulgated and uh, calculated and I can actually hear it and it sounds like what I intended amazing 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 it got so bad that um, I needed an extra year to graduate, mm-hmm. so I ended up uh, at sale for for five years instead of four. Mm-hmm. And I guess I was doing well because they actually granted me the I was uh, there in a fellowship, and they actually granted mm-hmm. me the extension. Oh. Um, so it got so bad that that um, I realized I have to focus, I have to focus on just work working on the piece. How am I going to keep track of this? How am I going to hold myself steady? So I. I found a knife switch in a, a drawer in one of the uh, offices, disused offices. And it was a, a single-pole double-throw switch. Mm-hmm. And I labeled one side of it composing. I labeled the other side debugging. And so when I was composing, I would put it over on the composing side. When, when I was first to debug, then i put it over on the debug side so I'd remember what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Um... And I got the piece out, and it was very successful. It actually won, won an international prize. Oh, nice. And it uh, was on the strength of that that I uh, got this job at UCSD, and life went on.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, now, one of the things about the Samson box that I've never quite got my head around is how much work was done strictly for the internal versus the external. How much was actually created for wide-scale performance as opposed to experimentation with what was possible with
1: the oh, box? Um, well, I would say it was largely for uh, music generation. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a point um, where um, oh, what's his name? i got a senior moment here. Roger Shepard, there we are. Roger Shepard came mm-hmm. uh, up wanting to uh, be able to experiment with uh, these new uh, psychoacoustic illusions that he had created called the Shepherd Tones. Oh yeah, yeah, Okay, that's why. <laughs> yeah. And um, so he hired me, actually, because I, I was at that point the person who knew the most about how to actually get the Samson box to uh, you know, get up and do anything. Um, And so he had all these interesting ideas for other kinds of psychoacoustic effects with the Shepard tone that uh, we were able to program some of them and not others. Mm -hmm. Apart from that, I think that was actually the only scientific use that I know of, of the Samson box, Mm -hmm. during the time I was there. Now, of course, it had quite a life after I left. Yeah. Um, In a nutshell, Mm -hmm. um, there was, um, you know, Chowning's, fame from having published his uh, Audio Engineering Society article on on, uh, FM synthesis spread uncharacteristically rapidly. Um, And um, so when Pierre Boulez was enticed back from being the conductor of the New York Philharmonic, I think it was, was it Mitterrand, I think, considered that uh, Boulez was a cultural treasurer of France, and he was uh, disturbed that he was not in France. So they lured him back mm-hmm. with the promise of giving him this um, IRCAM Center, mm-hmm. uh, Institut de Coordination Acoustique Musique. Mm. Bad. <laughs> yeah. um, and so he was setting it up, and you know Boulez uh, is an avant-garde performer of classical musical instruments, but mm-hmm. he realized that there are these crazy people doing strange things with electronics, but he wanted to be really sophisticated, and so he heard about Chowning's work. And the summer that I was, um, that I started studying at Stanford, which would have been the summer of 70, 74 or 75, I can't remember, mm-hmm. probably 74. Um, no, but that would mean I would start <laughs> I think it was the summer of seventy five. Um, Pierre Belez came to Karma with Vinko Globacar. Um, who else? Well, it's a it's a well known set of people. Uh I just was can't reset one of them? Risset was uh, was one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, Jean Claude Risset. Uh, Risset and Channing went way back. Channing mm-hmm. and Risset. Uh Channing spent a period of time uh, when he was fired from Stanford. Uh, he spent a period of time in France okay. um, and uh, also at Bell Telephone Laboratories. Mm-hmm. And uh, Rousset was uh, one of Max Matthews' minions yeah. at Bell Labs. Uh, but how did he get there? You know, it's because he had... Been working already in, in, in this area in, in France, and so Channing was kind of in this loose collective that included Risset and Risset and Channing became really close friends. Mm-hmm. So I think that's probably how Boulez heard about it, is, it is through Risset. Um, <clears throat> so anyway, these these three guys and actually one more whose name escapes me came and had their own private tutorial on uh, computer technology and computer music. Mm-hmm. At sale in the summer, I think it was '75. Wow. Um, and so then they all went back t- to France and said, "Okay, well, the fastest thing we could do would be to replicate what Sale has." They made. They were going to get uh, a PDP-10 and a Samson box. Uh, P. Samson actually built enough boards and circuits for I think three of them. Mm-hmm. Um, um, one that Stanford bought, the one that Ercan was supposed to buy but didn't, um, and what happened was uh, local French politics. Uh, well, that would be importing more American technology. We, yeah, how, how little can we get away with uh, of importing American technology? Well, okay, we'll we'll get a we'll get a computer from from America, but you know we we've, we've got guys here who want to build the uh, real-time digital audio computation system, so we'll let them have at it. Mm-hmm. Um so Boulez made this amazing building which is underground, um uh, right next to the Centre Pompidou. There's a, a fountain on top of it for insects. A really goofy looking fountain. Um and uh um populated, you know, made the, this really cool performance space that had uh, adjustable walls so you could vary the acoustics uh, of the facility and it was big enough to stage concerts and then they had suites of offices and places for machine rooms and it was all quite lovely. Mm-hmm. Uh, still is. I think it's all still there. I think the the, the, the center, uh, their comp center is still in the same building, if mm-hmm. memory serves. Um, and then... Andy Moore got tired of being at sale, and Aircon made him an offer, and so he went and he became the, um, uh, like, a scientific director, I think, mm-hmm. I'm not sure of his title, um, for um, Boulez, mm-hmm. and uh, left sale about 79, I think,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, and was over in France for a few years. Yeah. Um, then... More, more stuff happened downstream for him.
0: Yeah, 79 and 80 seemed to be in a big year of change over at, uh, at Sale and for Karma and a uh, big time of... Because uh, I think that's right when the first real solid money from the Yamaha deal really started showing up. Yeah, it,
1: it started showing up. Uh, it also coincided with uh, the divorce of uh, Karma from Sale when mm-hmm. Sale... Uh, let's see, I can't... I think basically McCarthy lost... Uh, um, some political power, and I forget the guy's name, but there was another famous computer scientist whose name starts with F. Oh, um, Ed Feigenbaum. Feigenbaum. Yeah. Um, who pulled some shenanigans and got Sale moved down to Margaret Jacks Hall on the the campus, mm-hmm. um, and so Karma was left behind in the DC Power Lab building without a computer. Oh wow! Um, and so they bought a. Uh, Foonley and uh, Dave Poole built it <laughs> right in front of everybody. And so everybody contributed to trying to get this computer to work. They got the computer to work. Then they had to figure out a, a DMA to the Samsung box. And they got the Samsung box to work. And th- this is all basically after I left. But there was, was this enormous period from <laughs> uh, just right after this golden age that I was there. You know, like basically from 1980 to 1985 four or five when they had nothing really. Yeah.
2: Uh,
1: and of course technology was morphing around the edges so that you know that this is kind of a classical era of using a general purpose computer was replaced by the Samsung box plus a general purpose computer and then uh, when those were unavailable after the divorce with uh, with sale uh, then they started using, you know, uh, early midi technology and uh, other people's uh, real-time digital synthesis boxes and things kind of went off in, in this different direction. Meanwhile, they got the Samsung box running again uh, and it lasted for another decade <laughs> and was still, I, I think, the um, biggest, most rigorous, most capable facility for a, a real-time computation of digital audio.
0: As Loy mentioned, the Samson box physically looked much like a green refrigerator. It was over 6 feet tall, weighed several hundred pounds, and used three distinct module types. 256 generator modules for tone generation, 128 modifier modules, and 32 delay units which acted as memory and storage for the system. These could be combined in multiple different ways, which would allow the flexibility to compose different types of music. I also talked with current Karma director Chris Chafe in 2019 about his early use of the Samson
2: box. Uh, Gareth, at the time, had been um, uh, eagerly awaiting the you know the, the 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 basically flipping the switch on the Samsung box, which mm-hmm. was I, I guess we'll talk about a bit. oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and he had prepared, you know the software, the hardware connections, and so on. And so we uh, were up and running, I guess just before I got here. I, I, you know, Gareth had had things uh, in, in in a fashion where neophytes like myself could could start to, um, you know, Get get some decent stuff out of a mm. machine that calculated it in real time. It was you know amazing for 1978. Uh, daunting because uh, you know here's here's this uh, you know behemoth with if you open the back you know spaghetti wires which uh, I you know at the time I you know I I was only beginning to appreciate what all that represented and how unique it was right. So um, from from the point of view of a composer who was, you know, starting their first experiments, I I was kind of lucky because I skipped the non-Samsung box stage where, you know, things took ten times longer to turn around. Um, so, uh, you know, so I, th- I think there were two things to it. One was that, you know, that, that, that turnaround loop, you know, of trying out your ideas was um, significantly faster and allowed for better experimentation. You know, more facile experimentation. The other was that we only had one of them, and everybody was listening to everybody's output. Yeah, and that was huge. Yeah, you know, it was a, it was a, a, a wonderfully daunting for you know those of us trying out the first things. But we we you know had what I would consider just, just a, you know, a culture of open source, you know, where, you know, you'd hear stuff say, how the heck did you do that? And uh, you learned from each other and shared a lot. So there's, um, you know, there are some trademark kinds of, you know, like sounds and approaches to organizing them that I think came out of the, you know, that culture at the, at the time, but there wasn't a limitation in any way. I think, you know, we, uh, we saw Kinds of music going off in all directions. You know, computer not going to tell you what that is, right? Yeah. So, uh, so yeah. people with a lot of a lot of varied backgrounds coming into the mix. There was a uh, summer workshop series. I, you know, as far as I know, started around 1969. So it was already uh, almost 10 years um, by the time I, I was in the group. And the summer workshops were a, a moment where you know people who, um, you know, could take a few weeks and, and you know, come sort of learn basics and, and then, you know, stay up all night by themselves, uh, that was super fertile, you know, and, and I think uh, uh, it had a reach which, um, which eventually kind of numbered in several hundred like the number of composers who worked with the samson box is, you know like i said there's only one of them yeah but you know 500 composers or something like that over its uh, lifespan mm-hmm. and that's that you know i mean talking 1978 yeah. you know 80s uh that's significant but that, that, that was that was a uh, kind of a yeah, you know, it was a locus of of uh, invention, I think, and and all made possible, I think, by um, just the the vibe you know the community had and and the technical wherewithal you know to pull off something like that. So and and uh, and great support from the university. I mean, I got to say that w- you know without you know people. Taking a kind of leap of faith on on you know this motley crew, <laughs> it would, you know, it wouldn't wouldn't have gelled the way it did, you know. And but uh, <laughs> so
0: you had, when you got in, they it was still the PDP ten, PDP six, and the Samson box
2: all together. Correct. Uh, so
0: how did you how did you deal with that sort of workflow? <laughs>
2: uh, you know, well, first of all, you dealt with it usually at night. I gotta gotta say, and you've probably heard this, but uh, there was only one of each of those, including the PDP-10. So the the mainframe computer was shared by, uh, you know, a group that was, you know, nearly 100 researchers, I think, you know, in in the AI lab. Uh, And uh, the kind of computations that, you know, musicians were doing, you know, would would be fairly heavy and better done at night, you know. So we we were night owls. Um, I, you know, found that... uh, you know the group was the music group was small enough that that we could kind of keep things safe for each other like in terms of workflow and in terms of sharing uh, kind of tutorials and examples and stuff like that so so that would that went really really well um, you know and and great teachers to to kind of bone up on the basics you know i mean
1: you can imagine
2: the variety of backgrounds coming into a place like that but people had a shared passion for acoustics, I think, and 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 hearing, right? So sciences of of you know how musical instruments work and how the musical ear works. Uh, people would come in, kind of, kind of up to date on a lot of that that research, I think, and then the fact that you could, you know, ply the waters, you know, with with experiments that that. Um, or you know, in in a way, very low risk, right? Like you know the, uh, um, you know the first of all that that open tin pan alley was was was, was very welcoming, you know, uh, you know by and large. And I think the, uh, you know the the fact that we weren't you know paying for computer cycles made, yeah. a, made a big difference too, you know, because I can think of some parallel things at the time in other institutions where actually that factored in, right? Yeah, and, for, sure, uh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I you know, I found, you know, to a person, people were like, you know, really concentrating on their own art very quickly, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and that, you know that I. Th- you know I hope that's still said today about the place because that, that it's essential. You know that, you know people are here kind of because they're chasing a passion and and uh, we certainly, you know, for those of us who've been there since, uh, God, you know, '78. To, oh Man, that's like what 40 years. I don't know. <laughs> over. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, it's uh, you know it's addictive and uh, it was immediately at the time. You know, it felt like a you know, it, it really did have a feel of a frontier, um, and, uh, you know, that, you know, the, the horizons have changed, you know, in 40 years. What's what's really astonishing and would not have been predicted, you know, four decades ago is, is how well this is democratized. You know, I talked about, you know, this being unique and kind of, you know, a place that you had to get to. It's now, I mean, we're... We're working with uh, people the world over, sharing stuff both directions. You know, it's, it's, it's not just this temple thing. Right, right, right. <laughs> oh, yeah. so.
0: The Samson Box continued operating until about 1990. I asked Bill schotstedt about it in an email in 2018. We could not afford either the Samson Box maintenance or the Foonly unrelated CDC disk drive maintenance. So we decided to move to the next which had Music Kit, written by Karma-ites, David Jaffe, and Julius Smith. The next was 68040-based, and maybe several hundred times slower than the box. I found it impossible to use for composition. Eventually, we moved to PCs, and by now, of course, a standard PC is probably 10 to 100 times as fast as the box. I was the last user of the box, and got to ceremonially turn it off. Actually, I threw the power switch on the Foonly. That was in 1990, I think. In the chaos of the move to the Knoll, the box ended up in France. I wish we had kept it here, at Karma. The Samson box was retired and moved to the Musée de la Musique, a part of Cité de la Musique, in Paris, where it lives today alongside centuries-old clavichords, harps, viols, and other instruments, as well as significant musical computers like Peter Zanakis's Upic and the French 4X music computer. The machine that defined so much of the early history of karma now resides in Paris, but perhaps its real legacy is the music it left behind. David Jaffe's Silicon Valley Hoedown, Gareth Lloyd created Nikia using the Samson box, Chowning's Terenus, Janis Maddox's Dragon's View, Jonathan Berger's A Pocket Full of Posey, which won the Borges Prize in 1983, and a dozen or more works by Schottstadt, including dinosaur music. Gareth Lloyd details hundreds of musical compositions in his Computer Music Journal article, which we'll link in the show notes. The Samson Box was Karma's workhorse for more than a decade, and its impact is still being felt today at Karma. Hopefully, the Samson Box can come back home at some point. Thanks for listening to Engineers and Enthusiasts. It was a bit of a longer break than I had hoped, but we'll be back, I promise. We're going to move on from music, on to static visual art beginning with, as always, Bell Laboratories. So I hope you'll stay tuned.